The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. God is always working, and uh, it is a part of our mission uh, here at First Conyers to win people to Christ, to make disciples of them, and then to send them to win others for Christ. And as we as the body continue to engage in that in our daily lives, wherever we are, then God is going to be faithful to bring those to come to know Him. It's up to us and the Holy Spirit, obviously, but let's continue to be faithful in that mission. Speaking of that, if you're a guest here this morning, I would like to encourage you to look in the pew in front of you. There's what we call a connect card. You can fill that out. We promise not to bombard you with a thousand emails or put you on our donor list, uh, but we want to reach out to you and let you know how welcome you are to let you know about more about First Conyers, our mission here, and how you can become engaged in that. If you're watching online, you can go onto the website or just put a note right there in the comments if you're on Facebook, and we will get the information to you and make contact with you. I want to encourage you. We only have a couple of weeks now where we're going to be beginning to open our small groups back on Sunday morning, uh, early hour, and then later hour, and also our Wednesday nights. And I'm excited about the Wednesday nights because it is an opportunity because of COVID-19 where we are able to join with our adult men and our high school students together around roundtables as we go through the study of better man. And we're all desiring to be better men. How many of you men here this morning would say that you want to be a better man of God? Can I see your hand? This is a great opportunity as we get around roundtables to develop relationships with each other so that we have fellowship with each other. And there is a powerful thing that God can do through men who are sold out to Him and desiring to walk together to become better men. And so I encourage you, go onto the website, register for that. And the ladies will also be doing a precept study on that night with the high school girls uh, and the middle school groups. They're going to have their time together, children and preschool. So uh, as you feel comfortable to come back in those kinds of gatherings, then I encourage you to be a part of that. Let's pray as we open the Word this morning. Father, we pray that God the Holy Spirit would quicken our hearts. We invite the Holy Spirit. We know He's here residing in us as believers. But God, I pray the Holy Spirit would give unction, would give anointing to Your Word. God, that You'd pierce our hearts with the Word, not only to know You, God, through Your Word, but God, to see how it applies in our lives and to follow You in that, depending on the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of Jude, verses 24 and 25, and it's been a journey through this short letter that is so applicable to us today. And we come to verses 24 and 25, and I've entitled this an exalted closing. When we began the book of Job, we saw uh, Jude, we saw in verse 1 that Jude just begins to display and express all the great benefits that we have through Christ in our faith. But then immediately he says, I wanted to write more to you about this topic of who you are in Christ and the beauty of that urgent need and that urgent need of the body of Christ from the fall of the rest of the letter from, from verse 3 on all of that contends and he's contending, writing to us, warning us, exhorting us about those who Jesus referred to as sheep and wolves, or excuse me, wolves in sheep's clothing. 
that would be among you. And so we looked at that. Last week, uh, we, we looked at verses 17 to 23 after Jude begins to wind up and he just gives us a fury of admonitions and commands. And just in, in, in review, we see in verse 17 that he exhorted them and he exhorts us to remember the words of the apostles because the apostles had warned us that in the last days, in these days, there will be those who are apostate. There will be those who are scoffers, who will come in, swindlers, if you will, and try to divert others from the faith. But then he writes to us in verse 21, and he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, notice in this verse, there is a requirement that we talked about last week that that it doesn't come by osmosis. We can't sit back and God is always working, but there's something on our part that we need to do. It's called Christian disciplines, that we keep ourselves in the love. Then in verse 20, he, he goes one another up in the most holy, because it refers back that we are to contend once for all for the faith. He's not talking about our faith that we have, but the faith generally, the gospel and the fullness of that. So contend for that, hold to that, die for the faith, if you will. Then in verse 20, he says, continually be praying in the Holy Spirit, meaning praying led by the Holy Spirit. Wait for the mercy, verse 21, that's revealed by Jesus Christ. And so as we are living in this world, we're continually waiting, watching, working at the same time, but watching and waiting for the blessed return and our hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? He is coming back. We don't know when. We don't know uh, at what season, even the sun doesn't know, but we can rest assured that he is going to return. And then in verse 22, he, he commands us that for those who are doubting the faith, that are being drawn away, uh, enticed by those who are teaching false doctrine, that we're to have mercy on them and warn them, have compassion in their situation and warn them. I find that oftentimes we in the church, the minute one turns away, Way, we begin to ostracize them, criticize them, and condemn them. Can anybody say amen to that? But here, God says, have mercy on them. The same mercy that we have been displayed, God calls us to display that mercy on them. And then those who are a little bit closer, he says in verse 23, that we're to save them by snatching them from the eternal flames of hell. And then I find this interesting in verse 22, that even to those who are apostate, who have turned away from the faith, he commands us to have mercy even on those that are are unrepentant. Now, that, the legalist doesn't like that. The hardliner doesn't like that. But God calls us. Why? Because He has mercy and compassion on the one who is turned away, not desiring that any should perish, but all come to eternal life. Can you say amen to that? Then we come to verses 24 and 25, and it's almost as if Jude couldn't resist. Because remember, his, his original intent was to write them this beautiful letter of their salvation. And so at the end, and we have kind of two bookends in the book of Jude, that, that great encouragement in the, in the first couple of verses, and then now here at the closing, and he writes this, beginning in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy 
to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now forevermore. You see, as we, as we look through the book of Jude, it's almost as if he says, we, we've got to contend for the faith as we are engaged in the world. But now at the closing, he says, as we contend, we've got to continually comprehend. We've got to continually contemplate all the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And there's a delicate balance there, right? You see, you and I cannot live in the world unless we're continually reminded of what God has saved us from and what he saved us unto. That is the encouragement that we have as believers, right? And so it's important for us to daily be reminded of all the glorious things that we have in Christ Jesus, not because we've done anything great, all because of his mercy he has saved us and he set apart. We, we could look at verses 24 and 25 this way, that what he says in verse 24 is all that God has accomplished for us. Then in verse 25, all that God receives from us. You see, verse 24 is, is telling us the graces and the mercies of God in our life. And verse 25 is our worship in response to all that God has done for us. You see, the truth of the Word of God and all that He has done for you and me saving us, if it does not move us to worship Him unabandonedly without any reservation of emotion, if it doesn't call us to worship Him, then you either never have been saved or you're stone cold hard and the Holy Spirit needs to do a major work in your heart. Can you say amen to that? Because I can't look at the riches of the glory of God and all that he has done on behalf of me, for me, to save me without responding to him in gratitude and magnification and glory. Can I get a hallelujah to that and a clap to that? Is that right? So let's look at what Jude says first of what God has accomplished for us. Verse 24. He starts the sentence by saying this, now to him, notice that the, the focus is to him, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I can imagine in the minds of these initial recipients of the letter who were seeing many in their congregation, many in the body fall away into apostasy and others being led away into false doctrine. There, there may have been an inkling of fear, could I fall away as well? And I would say to the believer this morning that if you have trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, you need not fear because he who saved you will keep you to all of eternity. Now that's good news. I don't care how you stumble tomorrow. I don't care how you stumbled this morning. I don't care how you stumbled last night. That he who saved you is able to keep you to the very end. You know why? Because you didn't save yourself. I didn't save myself. God Almighty saved us. And he says, he who is able to keep you from stumbling. We, we, we've seen them. They had seen them. In their own body, they had seen those who seemed to walk the walk and talk the talk. 
They had the right Bible they carried. They insisted on the right liturgy in worship. They, they had taken the vernacular of brother and sister. They had learned how to dress themselves, I'm not talking physical dress, but dress themselves in Christian lingo. And everybody had the idea that they are one of us. But their hearts had never been transformed and changed. They had never been born again. And so the fear was maybe there's a possibility that we can be led away. And they saw them led away into autonomy, apostasy. And they, they saw them turn from that, as Jude describes in verses 5 to 10, that they had an insatiable desire to get wealthy themselves on the backs of those that had given. They saw the comparison in these men, as, as he describes beginning in verses 11 through 16, that there were men like Cain who walked away from the faith didn't believe that God required a blood sacrifice and determined that they were going to try to keep a righteousness on their own and murdered his brother. They they realized that these men were just like Balaam who had declared the word of God but realized that he was only doing it to line his own pockets and to make his own wealth greater. And they saw men like Korah who who had begun with Moses and then brought a rebellion against him as they as they departed the faith. And we have seen them too, haven't we? You know, the one thing I love about Scripture is it doesn't keep anything in the closet. (laughs) So many times, I think, in the body of Christ, we keep too many things in the closet. In my lifetime, I I can't count the number that I have seen that that were Christian leaders, if you will, turn away to apostasy and lead others away. And I'm going to name some names again this morning, so please refrain from sending me email or text, okay? I love you. I'm just teasing. How many of you remember Jim Baker? PTO. How many of you gave to Jim Baker? No, I'm I'm just teasing. (laughs) How many of you remember Jimmy Swagger? How many of you gave? No, I'm not going to ask you that. You see, and it's evidence in their life, although they have professed to repent, they continue the same patterns. There's not been a real repentance. John the Baptist says real repentance bears fruit. Recent years, James McDonald, recent worship leaders that in our culture today where it seems as though prominent or famous worship leaders are exalted and elevated. And just in the last year, at least three that I know that have been prominent with huge labels have now denounced the faith where they no longer profess to believe in Jesus Christ. How many of you purchased Joshua Harris's books? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) We did. Only to see now that he has renounced the faith, turned away to apostasy. Just this last week, it was, it's been plastered all on our news. Jerry Falwell Jr., as you look back at what has taken place in his life and you say, how could they? Well, the answer is they were never one of us. 
And, and Jude is writing, but he's encouraging you and he's encouraging me that we are, we, are, we are not to place our eyes on any man. But in Hebrews, he says, look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, because he will never turn away. Amen? We all should understand that, that what he's writing here, what he's saying here is that, that it doesn't mean that, that he is able to keep us from sinning. If you're looking for sinless perfection in this lifetime, let me go ahead and inform you, you'll never obtain it. Amen? But he says, he who is, he is able to keep you from stumbling. The idea here is, is, to te- is to keep you from falling away. James writes and says that we all stumble in many ways, right? We all know that we stumble in many ways. But He is able to keep you from falling away. The only reason that you and I can have a hope, the only reason that you and I can have an assurance of the perseverance of the saint that He will save us to the very end is because He is the one who keeps us from falling away. No church will keep you from falling away. No ritual of Bible reading will keep you from falling away. They're all good. But the reason we won't fall away is because the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased us with a payment through His blood, and it is non-refundable. Excuse me if I get too excited about this this morning. i got to preach harder because some of you don't seem like you're very excited about this. Thank you. There's a acrobat some of you may be familiar with, famous acrobat. He, he was the guy that crossed the, um, crossed the towers of, of the cathedral there, and he crossed between the twin towers before they were destroyed. His name is Philippe Petit. And Philippe Petit was, was the, the high-wire walker, high walker of the 70s and 80s. One day as he was rehearsing for a minimum uh, acrobatic feet down in Florida, 45 feet above the concrete floor with his, with his balancing bar there, with no net and no harness. To, much to his demise, he, he, he slipped and he fell 45 feet, broke his back and a number of ribs. He, he lived. But while he was lying there on the floor, it's quoted as him saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I never fall. He had gotten too comfortable in his own abilities. And, and you and I need to recognize that we can't get too comfortable in our own strength. It's the power and working, enabling power of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from falling in that fashion. And, and He who saved you will save you to the end. So He says... Here again, he will never allow you to stumble. The word keep is a real crucial word to Jude. Listen, listen to the verses that he uses this word keep. He, he uses it three times in this fashion. He, keep, he uses it more than that. But three times in particular that he's speaking to us. In verse 1, he tells us this, that we are kept for Christ Jesus by the Father. 
that we are kept, and that, that word, that, that, that idea of kept means that, that we are guarded and we are preserved by the Father for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think for a minute that the Father is going to turn us over to something else when we've already been preserved for His Son, Jesus? No. The second time he uses it, we saw last week, is in verse 21. He says, now, keep yourselves in the love of God. Hear the word keep that's translated in the Greek, and I'm not going to get on all that stuff. I'll let Ryan do that one day with his higher education and give you all the breakdown of the heirs' tense and all that stuff. But he says, keep yourself in the love of God, meaning maintain. And we talked about those things. God is going to do his part in keeping us for eternal salvation. But there is a part that we have to participate with him in, that we stay in the love of God, that we stay in that place, not in the security of our salvation, but in the sense of fellowship with him. And lastly, in this verse, he says, him who is able to keep you from falling. That word there is specifically to guard. You can picture God the Father guarding your life for eternal salvation. There's no other guard that I'd rather have. By the way, that means, that means amen. There's no other guard that I'd rather have. I'm so glad it doesn't depend on me. I'm really glad it doesn't depend on you. I'm I'm so glad it doesn't depend on a denomination. I'm so glad that it doesn't depend on anything else other than Him, that He is guarding me to all of salvation. And as I live this Christian life, as you live this Christian life, looking forward to our glorious hope, we know that when that day comes, either by His return and we're caught up with Him, or we go to the grave, we know that at that very moment that we'll be absent from the body and present with Him because He has kept us for all of eternity. Notice um, not only will He keep us, but, but He says in the last part of this, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. I want to look at the second part of this. There, there are two things that, that Jude is saying that He will do here. One is that, that He will present us And there's something else in that first part of the verse that he keeps us from. He keeps us from falling away, falling into perdition, so that he might present us before his presence. And to be presented before his presence, do do we ever think about that? That there is a day coming that every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus will be presented to him. Let me try to paint a picture. Have you ever seen a a high award presentation, maybe a Medal of Honor, where it's presented to that individual, and then that individual is presented to our country in honor of what they've done for us in order to protect our freedoms. It's even greater than that, that we are going to be presented before Him. And it is a glorious thing, he says, that there's a longing, as Jude is writing this, for the day that we will be presented to Him. 
The Psalms are full of instances where the writer is writing of that glorious day and that glorious time that that we will be presented to God forever and ever and ever. And in that sense, it is an honor, it's a present to Him that we are going to be presented to Him in His presence. Reminded of what Jesus said, that blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is there a desire, is there a looking forward to that time and present time that we are presented before Him and we can come boldly before the Creator, Holy God of the universe? Reminded of what David wrote in Psalm 42 where he said, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you. And it's not only a present thirst that he has in mind here, but it is an eternal thirst where he will be presented before God Almighty. Unfortunately, tragically, this promise that we, that we see so much through Scripture not only the promise of eternal presence, but the promise of being able to be in His presence daily is kind of met with kind of a sense of ho-humness. And maybe it's because we've, we've gotten so jaded through the time that, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I read that in my Bible. I did that Bible study, and it, and it talked about that. I've been there, I've done that, I bought the t-shirt. Folks, the reality of us being able to be in God's presence, to walk with Him, that the Holy Spirit resides in us, should cause our hearts, should cause all of our being to give glory and praise to Him like never before. There's a man that was traveling to Niagara Falls once, and it was kind of on his bucket list. He wanted to see Niagara Falls before he died. This took place some time ago, but as he was traveling towards Niagara Falls, he got close enough that they could, he could hear the rumble of the way. How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, I have. You remember that rumble that you felt about a mile away? You knew you were getting close. And he knew he was getting close to Niagara Falls, but he didn't quite know the direction. And he peers and he sees a farmer out in the front of his house working in the field. And he stops and asks the farmer, he says, hey, farmer, is this the way to Niagara Falls? And the farmer says, you know, I'm really not sure. He says, you're not sure? He says, well, how long have you lived here? And the farmer said, born and raised. He said, and you don't know whether or not this is the direction to Niagara Falls? And the farmer says, you know, I've, I've been too busy here. I've got too much to keep, with, to keep up with that I've never gone to see. You see, there was, the splendor was so close to him. But he was busy maintaining, just doing the everyday things that he had never stepped outside of that to experience experience the majesty, if you will, of Niagara Falls and what God is inviting us to. And there's no secret to it. There's no magic to it. It's a willing heart that comes before God and says, God, show me your glory. God, show me who you are. God, I'm sick of religious ritual. God, I'm sick of just doing things the way that I've always done things. God, there's something missing. I need you, God. 
and being comfortable in the ho-hum and our cultural Christianity that we oftentimes fall into. I'm so hungry to see God in these times right now. We need to see Him. Now, let's look at the second thing here. He says that, that He is able to present us before Him blameless. If you're honest today, how many of you would, would say that in, in, in the natural sense that you are not blameless? None of us can raise our hands, can we? You see, we're, we all deserve blame. But it says, in spite of all of that, there's this day coming when He is going to present you to the Father, to the Son, and you're going to be presented blameless. The picture that's here is, 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 takes place at the end of Exodus, really, where, where Moses is standing there, and he's just completed the tabernacle that God had given instructions to, to build, and he completes it with every single detail. And Moses had worked on this with others. He had managed the product, and it's a splendid thing, but Moses was not permitted to go into the tabernacle that he had just built. It kind of be like building a new home on Oconee and never being able to go in, right? You see, the reason that Moses couldn't go into the tabernacle was because the cloud had set down on the tabernacle. That God was present in that place. And because God was present, now Moses, you cannot go into the tabernacle. And then the book of Leviticus comes. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? It's full of blood. From verse 1 all the way to the end, when you read it, you can't help but get the sense of blood being poured out. How many of you ever been to a slaughterhouse? The smell of blood is there. The smell of death is there. And the smell of burning animals was there. And what he's picturing for us here is that the only reason that we can be presented to him blameless is because the blood of Jesus has been shed and is covered, not only covered, but eradicated your sin and my sin. And now we can come into his holy presence. You see, it requires one thing to be in God's presence, and that's the blood of Jesus. Notice lastly, he says that we're presented through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, let's look at verse 25. You see, verse 24, these are the things that he has done for us. Now, these are the things that we give back to him. He says again in verse 25, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now forevermore. We're to present to Him. He is majestic, but we are to present to Him majesty. This word majesty, or this word glory, I'm sure we present to Him glory, so many people have tried to define what glory is, and the fact is the word glory is indescribable. The Bible talks about God's glory as it being blinded, as it being the divine radiance of God. And can I tell you, we cannot manufacture the glory of God. We can't manipulate it. We can't fog machine it. <laughs> It's indescribable that we're to give him glory. 
in a sense that, that there's a poverty that we have of, of our vocabulary to express to God how glorious He is. And then he says, majesty, the only, only three times this word's used in the New Testament, once in Hebrews chapter 8 and the other one in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. But it has the idea that, that God's majesty is incomparable. It's his ineffable, meaning that, that we can't even describe it. That God is so great and so magnificent that we give back to him in worship, not only corporately, but daily in our lives and every day we live. Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it all to the glory of God. Do that job you hate to the glory of God. Put up with that husband you have (laughs) for the glory of God. I'm looking at both my wife and my daughter. Amen. Amen. Bear with those situations that are difficult to the glory of God. Give him majesty and praise. And then he says to dominion. What this means is that that we are to recognize that God is infinitely sovereign over all of the universe. And this universe is in his hands. This universe is not in the hands of the government of the United States or any other man system. And lastly, he says that to give him authority. And here's the real rub for me. Because there, there are areas of my life that at times are not under complete authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody else say amen to that? We can put it another way. That not only is he our, he, our Savior, but we've got to say, Lord, you're, you're my master. You're my Lord. And whatever areas in my life that are not yielded over to full authority in your, to you, that's everything. Then God, empower me, enable me by the Holy Spirit to give authority over to you. Why? Because God, you are the only one who is worthy of full authority in my life. I want to close with the verse that Sarah opened the service with this morning, and then we're going to worship him in song. And I would encourage you this morning as you're worshiping him in song, maybe you just take a, a moment to read these verses again and allow, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to open my mouth or at least meditate on the words that are being sung and in my heart give you praise and glory. And could we magnify him this morning in our service in closing? David writes this again. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. 
In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Let's worship him. Stand as you... Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.